Well, aloha and welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School, live from Maui, Hawaii, on this 31st day of October. Happy Halloween, 2010. Nice to be with you. Nice to be back. Thank you for all your warm wishes, your kind thoughts, and your loving prayers during the last few weeks when I've been under the weather and then some. But we're rebounding quickly and feeling stronger every day, like that old Chicago tune, Stronger Every Day. And uh, truly happy to be able to start our classes again live every Sunday afternoon here, 1 o'clock West Coast time, 4 in the East. It's uh, early here in Bali. It's just a little after 10 a.m. And uh, even when you go to uh, standard time in a week or two, I'm not sure when that happens. Now, they keep changing the date, but it won't matter for you because once you set your clocks back to standard time, it'll continue to be a 1 o'clock program. We'll adjust our time out here. And... um, So we'll go from 20 hours GMT to 21 hours GMT, but it'll still be 1 o'clock in the west and 4 o'clock in the east, you know, 2 o'clock mountain, 3 o'clock central. And, of course, available by podcast. And the best way to do this, I think, is through the iTunes store, but we're on all the major podcast directories on the Internet also. It's just that their search engines don't work very well. That's the problem I've found with a lot of the podcast directories is they don't have very good search engines within their systems. Uh, so iTunes is free for Mac and PC and a great way to subscribe and then organize all of your podcasts as well as put them onto your uh, iPod or uh, other portable MP3 player. Well, today's topic is understanding love the relationship of love to understanding. Understanding is known in esoteric philosophy to be one of the primary qualities of love, just as we can think of love as including kindness, uh, generosity, uh, compassion and mercy and forgiveness, uh, tolerance and patience, the endless qualities and virtues that go with the nature of spiritual love, not merely emotional love, but spiritual love. And understanding was one of those chief qualities. There's a wonderful saying, sort of a generic saying, about it is better to understand than to be understood. And that's true, just as it's better to give than receive. You always want to plant before you reap, and so... If you ever feel misunderstood, well, turn it around by trying to understand other people. I think that's a good place for us to begin our class today. Better to uh, understand than to be understood. Uh, To understand others, of course, does require that you understand yourself a bit. And love is the many things, but certainly the relationship between you and that which appears to be other. Spiritually, we know there is no other. There's just one thing at work. But it is the quality of esoteric love, of spiritual love, of, of consciousness or awareness, which you might even want to call that soul place between spirit and matter, between heaven and earth. Um, 
it is it is that quality that allows the oneness of things to express itself in such a multitude of diversity without being affected or diminished in any way. How does the one life express itself in so many forms without being reduced somehow, right? Um, if you think about pulling water out of a well or out of a lake, uh, unless there's an input, you're eventually going to diminish the amount of water in the well or in the lake. Most are spring-fed, I suppose, and uh, fed by rainfall and such, but you understand the system. Let, let me just say you have a big cistern full of water. Every time you pull a bucket out, there's a little left, a little less left inside. Um, so you have to look at the idea of electromagnetism, really, to understand how there could be this extension of spirit out into material form that does not diminish the source of the spirit or the energy that is indeed the source of that extension or that expression. We can see it in radio, for example, and use this as a parallel to pulling water out of the cistern. Uh, if you are listening to a particular radio station, AM or FM, and maybe you're out on the fringes, you're just barely able to receive it. Well, it's not as if somebody next to you turns on a radio and then a third person a few yards away turns on a radio. Each time that happens, you might think that the signal would become less and less. People are using up more of the signal. But, of course, the whole idea is ridiculous because that signal is, and here's the key, it's everywhere equally present. You see, it's, it's, it's an electromagnetic radiation that is everywhere. And so no matter how many people consume that radio signal, or how many, no matter how many radio sets are turned on, the signal that you receive is not diminished or affected in any way. Understanding love is in part understanding this miraculous middle element between the source of things and the expression of things, between spirit and matter, between God and man, heaven and earth, however you want to describe it. It's this middle element that um, corresponds to the Christos or the Buddha nature that is the love, that is the understanding of the relationship between spirit and matter that allows for its dissemination without the source being diminished or affected. It's really, it's really magnificently beautiful. It's a little complicated, I know, when you first start to wrangle with it, but the more you work with the idea, the more powerful it becomes. And you really begin to understand love as an electromagnetic presence. Too often, when we discuss love as an emotion, I love you. Uh, if you love me, I will love you. <laughs> Conditional love. Uh, we think of love as a commodity that can be passed around, like here's a bushel of love for you, and here's a basket of love for you. 
uh, it's not a commodity that can be passed around. Um, it's, it's, again, this electromagnetic field, this matrix of organized energy that, that you feel in a relationship where there is emotional love presence. Well, on the higher turn of the spiral, the spiritual love and understanding that we're talking about is the same kind of thing. It's electromagnetic in nature. There's another nice way to think of it. If, and this is a classic. It's a very important concept. Work with this. Make a little drawing on your notes if you'd like. Think of a bar magnet, a vertical bar magnet. With the top of the magnet, you label usually north or positive. And the bottom of the bar magnet is usually labeled the south pole or negative. And positive and negative are just a reference to those polarities. It's not that one is the good end and one is the bad end. They're just, uh, in fact, sometimes they're referred to as the masculine and the feminine. That's why we think of often God as a man and Mother Nature, Mater, the material world, as the mother. Uh, it's just polarity. It's an attempt by the ancients to describe electromagnetic polarity of the bar magnet. But don't you see there's a third element in the bar magnet? The third element is the electromagnetic field around the bar magnet. And every point along the bar magnet and in the electromagnetic field that surrounds it is influenced by both polarities. There is no either-or. There are no absolutes in electromagnetic fields. You could get way off to one end of the field and find that uh, the magnetism is 99% North Pole and 1% South Pole, or vice versa, or 60-40, 30-70. It's always a blend, right? Or as you move away horizontally from this vertical bar magnet, you could experience a diminishing, in physical science anyway, of the electromagnet, electromagnetic nature, but, but always be influenced the North and the South Pole. Right? So, again, the middle element here is love and understanding. The electromagnetic field that unifies what at first blush, might look like north or south, like opposite poles of the magnet. And you're either uh, part of the north pole or you're part of the south pole. You can't be both. Well, no, it's not true. You're always part of all that is. Another thing I wanted to talk about when it comes to understanding love is that just as fear has a relationship to ignorance. Love has a relationship to understanding. And that the two, in a way, are cyclic. Uh, they feed each other. And if we just look at fear and ignorance, I mean, listen to the way those words relate to each other, the way they tumble out. Almost like it's a single word, fear and ignorance. And the more time you spend exploring your fear, the, or the fear of other people, but it would help if you started with your own, right? Better to understand than to be understood. 
the more you explore the nature of your own fear, the more you'll see that it's bound up in what you don't know about that which you fear. Uh, most of it, the, the, the focus, the bullseye or the center point of our fears are the things that we don't know about ourselves. But the approach is usually made by fearing others and fearing the world around you. And all of that is born of what we don't know about others and the world around us. And then, as I say, at the heart and soul of it is how little we really understand ourselves. So that fear, that ignorance gives birth to fear, and that fear confuses us and makes it even more difficult to understand. And so we get a vicious cycle of anxiety and confusion, each feeding the other. Anxiety and confusion, or if you will, fear and ignorance, one has sort of an emotional quality to it, the fear or the anxiety. One has sort of a mental quality to it, the ignorance, um, the confusion. But however you look at it, uh, it's a vicious cycle, and it goes around and around and around. It amplifies itself. Uh, it's like a feedback loop. And it's like the way a tornado will drop out of a thunderstorm and spiral you down, pull you down. And the more you fear, then the more confused and ignorant you become, which creates more fear and more ignorance and more fear and more ignorance. Well, love and understanding have the same relationship um, in that they promote each other. Uh, love as a quiet, safe place promotes understanding and insight and awareness. When you're calm and relaxed, you'll loved and loving and lovable, you're much more open to these aha experiences of realization or revelation, whether it's some profound philosophy of your relationship to the universe and all that is, or some simple problem in your daily life and affairs. A peaceful, quiet state, a loving state, promotes insight and understanding, which creates a sense of relief. And a sense of release <laughs> as well. And you go, ah, phew, thank goodness, right? I now understand, which promotes understanding, which in the same way promotes love, more understanding and more love and more understanding again. Uh, a nice spiral, but instead of being a vicious cycle that pulls you further into fear and ignorance, this is an upward spiral. This is the wing under the wind under your wings. This is the the uh, a gentle uh, lift of warm currents of air, uh, lifting you up, love and understanding. And so that's important to understand because any time you find yourself in fear and ignorance, or feeling one or the other, you might not be aware of the full cycle. You just might be afraid or stressed. I say, I don't know what's going on. I'm just wound up. I'm carrying a lot of muscular tension. My brain is chattering like 35 monkeys at the same time. I, I, I don't know what to do. How do I get out of this? How do I get from the vicious cycle of, of fear and ignorance to the upward spiral of 
of love and understanding. And the way I describe it is a simple two-step process. Uh, the mnemonic I use is RR, like a railroad has two tracks. Railroad, RR. Here's the two tracks to get from the vicious cycle to the upward spiral. It's relaxation and responsibility. Relaxation again, meditation, contemplation, introspection, uh, whatever term you have for relaxation, whatever type of relaxation you do, the breathing from yoga, progressive muscular relaxation, self-hypnosis exercise or, or meditation that you've learned, alters your brain waves. You come into the alpha brain wave state, 10 cycles per second or maybe even a little lower, depending on how practiced you are. And in that state, you become more awake. Narrow awake is more awake. Wide awake is scattered. More stimulated you are, the more overstimulated, the more wide awake, the less mental power each of these thoughts gets. But when you relax, when you breathe, when you let go of muscular tension, you go into a place of narrow awake where your attention is focused like a, a magnifying glass would focus the light of the sun or like a laser beam would focus your attention. Not through an effort, but oddly by letting go. Moving in the direction of sleep to become more awake and finding, again, the middle, the love in the middle, in this case between awake and asleep. The love as consciousness, the enhanced awareness that's more likely to bring about the realization of where I can take responsibility, relaxation, and responsibility, the ability to make choices, the ability to see your power in the situation, to, to recognize the temptation to give your power away when you're hurt and upset by blaming other people for what they've done to you and seeking sympathy, perhaps, and going no, no further. When, as soon as we and this is the only approach to spiritual development is through this basic psychological exercise. This really is psychology 101 to take ownership of your feelings, to know that love or fear, positive feelings or negative feelings, they're your feelings. And they're evoked from you, perhaps by what someone has done or what someone has said, regardless of their intention, often we're not concerned with their intention. We have our own agenda, and what they said hurts, and it's their fault, and that's as far as we go. So we remain then trapped in the vicious cycle of ignorance and fear. To come out, we relax, we open our minds into narrow awake. We see what we hadn't seen before. We begin to understand it. That allows us to feel even safer and more relaxed. That promotes even more understanding, and now we begin to soar, uh, like I say, on the, on the uh, you know the gentle lift of warm air currents. That's the way I feel it. Uh, just being lifted up and letting go, like I'm a hot air balloon, just floating gently higher and higher, up and out of the the cesspool of 
of uh, the ignorance and, and anxieties in life that are always trying to, to pull us down. Those are some of the basics that I want to talk about. Uh, finally, this idea that love should only be warm and fuzzy, that warm should only be um, in the world a, a mo- on the lower turn. I mean, we're we're comparing now uh, spiritual love to emotional love, small l love. Uh, when it comes into form as an emotional feeling, love will contain its heartaches. Um, love will contain uh, periods where we feel we've been abandoned uh, by love, if not by the individual who we've been relying upon to love us. It could be circumstances. You know, the dog dies um, tragically, hit by a car or something. Um, uh, life is full of of suffering, of of loss. And this is one of the opportunities that we have to learn that all loss is simply an appearance of loss. And yet, you do have to lose everything to gain anything. This is the irony. You have to lose the world to gain life. You have to understand that part of the trance that humanity continues to exist in is a belief that if we just had more material things and more money, we could somehow be safe. But those material things are all in decay. They're all getting old. They're all running down and petering out. They're all breaking. They continually need replacement or updating or upgrading. Um, They're never as satisfying or fulfilling as we want them to be. For one of the primary laws of existence in the physical world is the impermanent nature of things. Spirit is understood to be infinite and eternal. But the material world, on the other hand, is very finite and very mortal. Um, it, it has its ebb and its flow. It, it has its in-breath and its out-breath. Uh, it has its rhythms. But essentially nothing really lasts. And to know that, then, is to allow yourself to begin to invest in something that does last that is eternal, that is infinite, that will change but never go away. And and that's pure love. That is love on the higher turn. That is love not merely as an emotion of affection, uh, but love as consciousness, love as awareness of our thoughts and our feelings and our behavior. And that indeed is the ultimate identity of who and what you are. You are the love you're looking for. You're made out of love. You exist as love. The only thing in the universe that's real is love. And you not only have what you're looking for, you are what you're looking for. Imagine, what a a cosmic joke that each of us is the love we've been longing for, that we've begged and pleaded, help me find. (laughs) 
somewhere, someone to love me, someone to embrace me, someone to respect me and trust me and and care about me and make me feel safe, and that someone is you. But not the separated you, you see. Not the lonely you, but the you that is everywhere equally present. Uh, I had a dream once that I'll share with you that I was in what could only be called nirvana or heaven, and I was being embraced by everyone who had ever loved me. It was like a giant group hug. It reminded me a little bit of a, a football huddle in high school where you all get together, right? And I remember thinking how amazing it was that so many people from my lifetime could hug me and embrace me at the same time. And I remember saying in my dream to myself, which self, <laughs> to my some self, how could this be? How can so many of you be hugging me simultaneously? And a voice responded and said, because we don't have shoulders here. You know, we've given up our physical bodies. And so we are now, uh, love as electromagnetic energy that is everywhere equally present, an ocean of love. So, you know, it's said by the ancients, you can take the drop from the ocean, but you can never take the ocean out of the drop. Spirit can create an appearance of self as separated, but it's only an appearance, and it's for each of us to understand love. That's our topic for the day, understanding love. But that we recognize that it is only an appearance of separation. And if you like words, play around with the word alone and hyphenate it so that it's all one instead of alone. Uh, I think that's a pretty amazing coincidence, <laughs> and probably not a coincidence at all, that the feeling of being alone is a delusion. It's a nightmare, and it's horrible. We all know the feeling. That's part of why we came into form, to experience the delusion and the fears of being unloved, of being separated, isolated, alienated, longing, reaching out for someone to embrace us and make us feel safe. And the truth of our own identity is that there is a Christos, there is a Buddha nature, there is a master, higher self within each of us that can be revealed little by little with study, with meditation, with, with mindfulness behavior out into the world. And you will never feel abandoned or alone again. You'll always have something to do when you're afraid and confused and don't know what else to do. You'll have the skill set to breathe, to close your eyes, to relax, feel the letting go, and to move from the nightmare 
of separation and loneliness to the truth of understanding love as the oneness of things, this beautiful middle place, this electromagnetic field that unifies the north and the south, and what at first blush might look like opposites. Okay. So those those are just some of the bullet points I had off the top of my head today to talk about understanding love, again, as an emotion, but more importantly, as consciousness itself is the truth of your identity. Love on the higher turn of the spiral is the second element of the so-called divine trinity. In the newsletter this week, we talked about each religion having its own um, trinity and Christianity, its Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Son, the Christos, is that middle element, represents divine love. In uh, Jewish mysticism, it's Kether, Kachma, and Bedna. Uh, Kachma is that middle element. Um, Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva. Um, Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. Uh, in Islam, it's the beloved love and the lover. Straightforward, right? Read Rumi, <laughs> read Hafiz. Uh, God as the beloved, uh, each of us as the lover, but love being the middle element between the two. If you want to see more about the nature of this trinity, which for me was a key that unlocked the door to esoteric philosophy, one of the most profound concepts I've realized in my whole life as a, as a journalist, as a teacher, um, as an individual, is the nature of the Trinity in all things, the threeness of things, the triune nature of things, three in one. Uh, check out my website. I've got an area in there called Wisdom Nuggets. There are a bunch of articles, and one is on the Trinity. Just go to theagelesswisdom.com when you have a minute. Click on the home page to go inside. And on the navigation links on the left, choose Wisdom Nuggets. That'll open up a series of articles, and you'll see one that's simply entitled The Threeness of Things. Or I, think it's a, I think there's actually one, two, and three. I've got three different articles on the oneness, on the duality, and on the triune nature of things. So you can read all of them or any one of them if you'd like. Okay, now um, let's go to your questions and comments. Again, we've been off the air for a while, so I don't know how many people we have on board today, but I'd love for you to leave a question um, uh, either by text via the website or on the telephone. Press star 2 to raise your hand on the telephone. Uh, that will allow me to see you on my computer panel. I see the call. I see a list of callers, but until you press star two on your telephone touchpad, I'll have no reason to go to you. Um, and so I'll come back to. I don't see any right now. Let me come back to that and go to the text questions from those of you who are on the web. And looks like we got a few folks here, so that's good. I have Valerie in Orange, California. 
saying aloha, Michael. So glad you're feeling better. Thank you, Valerie. Nice to hear from you. Carol. Hi, Carol. In La Habra. Welcome back, Michael. Wonderful to hear you're well and strong. You sound great. Thanks, Carol. Expect to sound even better in the, <laughs> in the future. Uh, I'm still hobbling around here, but getting stronger. Phil in Canoe uh, Park, um, Los Angeles area. Hiya, Phil. He says, uh, got here via Facebook. And um, let's see, he's talking about organizing his blogs. Uh, good that you're back. Um, you weren't in that long, and that's shocking. Despite the severity of your illness, yeah, it's pretty amazing. Uh, the miracles of modern medicine, what they're able to do. But uh, also the skills that I have developed and taught each of you, all of you over the years, uh, I employed, and that made a big difference too. One of these days maybe we'll talk about it, um, how to prepare yourself uh, for surgery and working with illness in a hospital environment and that type of thing. In Burbank, David can too. Hi, David. Thought you were in Texas. Good to hear you're back in Burbank. He says you sound great and good to hear your voice again. Thank you, too. In uh, Orange, uh, Valerie, oh, this may be the same Valerie, Valerie Hahn. Uh, yeah, she's just jumped back in, always late. <laughs> so glad you're feeling better. And aloha. She says, uh, did you get my email? I'm not sure. I bet I did. Um, I, uh, if I, if I did not respond to an email you sent, then I should, I'd suggest you resend it because I came home to just over 6,000 emails and I, <laughs> honest, and, uh, I have a pretty tight spam filter, but still 6,000 emails. So it's possible I deleted it. I tried to answer all of them. And so you may want to repeat that, okay? Thanks. And um, let's see. Patricia Vega says, Aloha, Michael, and Aloha, Doreen. Great to hear you on your webinar again. Uh, I understand about appearance, and it does help to meditate on love, especially when you've lost someone. That's for sure. Let's see who else we have coming in. This morning, Dale and Lisa in Los Angeles. Hi, Dale and Lisa. And uh, they say, hello, can you tell us a little more about the retreat? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, one of the, um, well, you know, we've got some really beautiful pictures that we've put on the website that I'd like to call your attention to. I think that saying a picture is worth a thousand words we can say 70 private acres in Hawaii, and you might not have any idea what that looks like. Uh, we've got about, the, the site we're going to be using is about 60 acres untouched rainforest, and 8 to 10 of those acres are mowed down and planted with grasses, which are mowed and then landscaped with beautiful tropical plants. Um, that's where the two main buildings that we'll be using are. Um, they're two large yurts with um, great big decks. We can get our 25 students on either one of the two decks 
These yurts are about a quarter of a mile apart, and um, both have full kitchens. Uh, I've already talked to Dale about this. Um, we're going to bring in some um, top-notch foods, some organic foods, and uh, hopefully Dale and Lisa are going to be part of the preparation of these delicious meals that we're going to have. We do have two beautiful kitchens, four refrigerators, and two big stoves, and um, everybody wants to know about the toilets. Yeah, we've got we've got flush toilets, tubs, and showers for people. Um, one shower is indoors, one is outdoors, uh, on the bluff overlooking the ocean. It's about the most incredible, and and they're all solar heated. We have a Paloma that we collect. Uh, solar power, use it to generate electrical power, use that to create instant hot water, and so you have an endless solar-powered uh, <laughs> hot water shower uh, behind this bamboo curtain that is only open on one side, and that faces out over the ocean. Uh, it's pretty amazing until you've seen it. So, uh, you know, hot showers and flush toilets, I think, are a very important feature. And the delicious food, the nutritious food, all of that is provided. Now, the five-day intensive will be that. This is not just going to be a yoga retreat where you come, uh, listen to 10 minutes of instruction, and, um, you know, meditate for uh, 20 minutes, and then you're free to uh, travel around. We're going to do intensive classes. Uh, there'll be never more than an hour and a half without a break, and you will have lots of free time to wander around. But you'll be using that free time to wake yourself up. Uh, the first couple of days are going to be dedicated to dropping what I call the jingle jangle of living in the world. I remember as a backpacker, it always took me two days to get all of the media that, that was inside of me out all of the brain worms you know the commercial jingles that are singing at you i watched iron man 2 last night uh on the uh, we we rented the video iron man 2 and you know they've got the the, the theme for that is uh, highway to hell by acdc real rocker but it was in my mind for about an hour afterwards, as I laid in bed trying to go to sleep, I keep hearing, hi, way to hell, over and over again, right? And then finally you let it go. Well, when you come to a place like this, you can busy yourself in resorts and beaches and hotels and golf and shopping and, and uh, snorkeling and all of the wonderful activities. Uh, and then you go home as tired as you were when you got here. Or you could use a paradise vacation in Maui to really let go of that jingle jangle. And by the morning of the third day, awaken as an entirely new person. So the first couple of days, we're going to do a lot of mind science, a lot of how do you manage fear and anxiety, uh, how do you use the law of attraction to develop yourself and create the kinds of circumstances and relationships that are most rewarding in your life. But day three, four, and five are going to focus on mindfulness meditation. Uh, Thoreau said, 
The day does not dawn upon those who are not awake. Now, if we pull the double negatives out of there, we get the same thing. The day only dawns upon those who are awake. You have to be awake to witness the dawn. If you're not awake, it doesn't dawn upon you, you see. There's so much that each of us knows, but we don't know that we know, or we forget that we know, because we're overstimulated. Because we're driving down the freeway at 80 miles an hour trying to, not to die. <laughs> you know, because we're all doing too much. And present company accepted, uh, not doing our introspection or our meditation or balancing our lives. Again, there's nothing wrong with being active and having a vital and exciting lifestyle uh, to do fun and exciting things even to multitask at times. But we also need time for sleep, and maybe most importantly of all, between awake and asleep, time for introspection, for meditation, for a reorientation of, of, of what does it mean to be mindful? What does it mean to really be present? If you're planning to come to this retreat, if you're even thinking about it, and you want some reading material, I'd suggest Walden by Thoreau. Because when I read Walden in high school, I thought it was a book about self-reliance. And I remember critics saying, yeah, well, how self-reliant could he have been? He had to keep going back into town every seven to ten days for supplies, right? Criticizing Thoreau. Well, maybe that comes from the fact that his mentor, Emerson, had written a classic on self-reliance, and Thoreau was interested in that. But his, his experiment, his two years and two months at Walden Pond, was less about self-reliance than it was about wakefulness, mindfulness, living deliberately. I went to live deliberately how many times do we wake up in life and say damn that whole experience went by so fast I never really paid attention I've had experiences where I was so busy documenting an experience with my camera that I missed out on the experience all I had were some pictures that or, or some attempt to capture an event that I wasn't able to attend because I was busy taking pictures of the event. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Leave the camera at home and be there now. Be awake right here. Soak it up. Savor it. The richness of the experience. That's what days three, four, and five are going to be about. Right? So... You'll come into uh, Kahului Airport. People have asked which airport. The main airport in Maui is Kahului. Much more convenient, much less expensive than any of the other airports. And you may want to come a day or two in advance. Spend some time on the west side. Explore some of the beaches. But whenever you come in, we'll gather in the Hiku, and you're responsible for your air transportation and your ground transportation Everything else is covered, part of the package deal. All right. You won't even need ID for five days. No keys, no room keys, no credit cards, 
nothing. Right. Friday, um, I'm sorry, what am I saying? It's uh, Sunday, the 13th of February, 2011. We'll gather in the Hiku at about 6.30 in the evening. So you're going to need to be out of L.A. or San Francisco by 9 in the morning to get to Maui by mid-afternoon because the drive to Nahiku, you've heard of the road to Hana. That's the road you're going to be on. You're going to go two-thirds of the way to Hana on what's often described as the most beautiful highway in the world. And there are waterfalls, countless waterfalls along the way, uh, vistas and turnouts and, and hikes and so to take at least two hours to drive out there from the central part of Maui. And you can carpool. I've already got to sign up with a woman who doesn't try, drive. She chooses not to drive. And so she's looking to carpool, and I think that's a good idea. You're not going to use your cars that much once we get out there. Though we will do a little bit of, uh, we will do a couple of day trips, and I want to keep those secret. Uh, and so we'll gather Sunday evening, uh, we'll have dinner, we'll have a small get-together, uh, we'll meet each other, greet each other again. We're limited to 25. If we get 50, we'll just do another one of them a couple of months from now. And um, so um, I don't want you to think that this is going to be uh, you know, 50 or 100 people or anything like that. And then each day, as much as I can tell you now, is going to include a morning meditation, some yoga, some stretching, and breakfast. And then there'll be uh, some class, uh, an exercise for you to do throughout the day, long periods where you can go do what you want. You can play, you can go get in your car and drive around, you can stay on the, on the property. Again, it's the 70 acres is ours, right? Initially, we'll explore the land. We're adjacent to uh, George Harrison's property, uh, which is 100 acres just down the road. You can go and visit that. It's private. You're not going to be able to go on to the Harrison estate, but you can go down the little dirt road and think about how much George loved this area of, uh, of Maui. I always do when I'm out there. I, I hear refrains of, here comes the sun, you know, George's property is incredible. And again, you'll see that coastline if you look at the website, either focusedpassion.com or theagelesswisdom.com, and click on the button Maui Retreat. You'll see pictures of where of our land, and then the waterfalls are a little further down that same coastline, and get a sense of where we're going to be on that bluff. Okay, and then behind that is all jungle. And then, as I say, all your meals will be provided, delicious. Um, I suspect we're going to have a little fish and a little chicken for the people that like meat, but no red meat, no porks, uh, no beefs or anything like that, no fatty foods, um, and uh, really nutritious and mega-nutritious foods. And we'll talk more about that in the future, too. And then by Friday afternoon, you'll be able to leave. Um, and uh, work your way back to Kahului. Again, some of you may want to stay a couple extra days, make reservations or arrangements in advance to do that, either in front of or on uh, the back side of the retreat. 
And um, it's about as much as I'm going to tell you about it for now. But Dale and Lisa, thanks for being part of this. Uh, Roberto in Oceanside is with us today, and he says, back in the saddle. Good to have you back, Michael. We love you. Thank you, Robert. And uh, it is wonderful uh, to be back, that's for sure. Armina, Armina in Glendale, so nice to hear your voice. Be well and keep well. Thank you, Armina. Uh, John in Pittsburgh, big aloha to you and Doreen. Hello, John, nice to hear from you, buddy. Um, Sylvia in Glendale, welcome back. How do I open my heart to love someone who has hurt someone else I love? Uh, please don't use my name on the air. <laughs> okay, well, I didn't. All I have is a first name. Um, how do any of us do that? We do that by forgiveness and compassion. Uh, and it's a great challenge. It's not an easy thing to do in many cases. But um, this is one of the higher qualities of love, of course, compassion. Um a little technique that I use, I don't know how many of you ever have, have ever heard of Tourette syndrome. Tourette syndrome, which uh, could manifest itself a bunch of different ways, but most commonly, I guess, most shockingly, is people who suffer from this uh, will often just uh, explode with verbal abuses and obscenities. They just start screaming horrible, ugly, obscene words. Uh, the problem is they have absolutely no control over it. And so here you might be in the middle of a nice sit-down dinner, and you know, you've invited your friends uh, or the boss or somebody, and uh, this person with Tourette's just in the middle of dinner on several occasions blurts out these uh, horribly offensive and rude uh, statements. Well, how do you forgive that? Uh, you forgive that by understanding they have no control over it. So how do we forgive people who hurt other people? We forgive them by understanding that we've done the same thing. I mean, how do you forgive somebody who's cut you off in traffic by remembering that you cut people off in traffic too? You just didn't intend to do it. But when somebody cuts us off in traffic, we figure, well, they knew what they were doing. They intended to cut us off. So we give them the middle finger salute, honk the horn, go after them, whatever. In most cases, never considering that they didn't really mean to cut you off. Just like you didn't mean to cut the guy off that thought you did. And... Uh, so to have compassion for people who hurt other people and people who are hurt by other people, it's just a, I think, a responsibility that we have in self-development to realize that that's part of living in form. That's part of coming down here as a human being into a separated body and living in such a frightening world. It's so scary down here. Um, People that treat other people badly do it out of fear. It's not an excuse, but it's a reason. And again, it's often not easy. But to hold a grudge 
to refuse to forgive hurts only us. Think about it. I'm never going to forgive you. I'm going to prove to you what a bad person you are and how much you hurt me or my friend by carrying that hurt. Well, all you're doing is hurting yourself. (laughs) It doesn't make any sense at all. Um, Except to a mind that is overstressed and anxious and, and confused by the fear that came from that hurt. I mean, it's always a fear we're going to lose love. So to remind yourself, you can't lose the only thing that's real. It's like a fish worrying about it's going to run out of water someplace. Hey, maybe we should carry some extra water with us in case we swim to a place where there's no water. It's absurd. The fish is not going to find a place where there is no water, and nor do we live in a universe where there is no love. It's it's always there. But it's for us to open ourselves to it. So that's part of it. That's the short answer to it. Um, I just use that Tourette's technique. I just assume that if somebody's being nasty and hurtful, they can't help themselves in the moment. doesn't mean you have to expose yourself to the abuse. If they're repeatedly abuseful, um, I'm inventing words, repeatedly abusive, you get to back out. You get to say, no, I don't think I'm going to be spending Sunday afternoon with that group again or whatever. No, I don't think I'm going to hang out with that. No, I think I'll avoid this situation. Um, but you don't have to carry it around. So forgiveness is letting go. It's just putting it down and being free again to be happy for no reason. Thanks. And let me see if I have any others. I guess that's it. Let's go to the thank you for those. Um, There's much better participation than I feared today because of uh, having been away for so long. It's really a joy to see so many of you here. Let me go over to the telephones. Who's on the phone? See if we have any hands here and anybody we can bring on. Diane, you're on the Mystery School with Michael Benner. Hello, good afternoon. Good afternoon. It's so nice to hear your voice today. Well, likewise, nice to hear your voice too. I I love this feature of the webinar to be able to bring callers on. How are you? I'm great. You know, you had a lady that said, mentioned how love fits in when you've lost somebody earlier yeah and and I was thinking that uh, because you know I've, I've been in a position where I've lost someone the thing that helped me survive that was to take every bit of love I had and put it outward to others to strangers to friends to family and it just comes back to you tenfold and it it enlightens you and it helps you heal. And the other thing I did is when I meditated, I would take my love and surround myself with it to heal me. And yeah. that that's amazing. You know, you, you 
really do begin to heal, but a lot of love beyond your own comes to you, even in that meditation. Love is uh, love is always the answer, and love is so magical. Um, people who sent me loving thoughts in the last few weeks, I have in several cases reported wonderful benefits to themselves as a result of that. Exactly. And of course, their intention was to help me, but that's what love is, in part anyway. I was Absolutely. watching... Um, Diane, have you ever seen the movie Brother, Son, Sister, Moon? No, I haven't. It's from the mid-1970s. Um, well, talkies. <laughs> I'm dating myself. Uh, it's a uh, film by Franco Zeffirelli. And it was, at the time, routinely panned for years. It was... Uh, rated one of the worst films of all time. And I could never understand that because I always thought it was one of the most wonderful films that I had ever seen in my life. And recently we watched it here on uh, Showtime and I found that it had uh, been given two and a half stars, which is not bad. So over the years, I think it's developed a following and, and people have begun to appreciate it. But it's the story of St. Francis of Assisi and how he goes off to the Crusades in the 9th or 10th century from this little village in Italy and uh, gets beat up pretty bad and comes home crazy. Um, except that from the viewer's point of view, as we watch this, we understand that he was only crazy before the Crusades, and he came back not crazy, but enlightened. And the only thing he cared about was flowers, butterflies, and watching the birds, and the clouds float across the sky. He was totally insane. Uh, in, <laughs> you know, I'm being sarcastic. He was obviously enlightened. His father was a rich cloth merchant. And there's a wonderful scene in the movie where he's throwing these bolts of expensive fabric out of their apartment into the muddy streets below, screaming, store your riches in heaven and not on earth. And, of course, his father goes insane and beats him up and drags him to the bishop of the church. And they don't know what to do with this kid and... It goes on, and eventually he visits the Pope. I won't wreck the ending, but he goes to Rome. And uh, he was just Francesco in those days, but we know him now as St. Francis of Assisi. And I bring it up because I'd like you all to check Netflix or whatever and rent it if you'd like, if you're so inspired. It's really uh, a, a beautiful, uh, beautiful uh, expression of the non-materialism that is at the root of Christianity and yet overlooked so often, especially by the church itself with its pomp and its pageantry and its gold this and, you know, bejeweled that. Um, and so there's this uh, prayer of, of St. Francis, uh, uh, I don't have it in front of me, but it begins, Father, make me an instrument of your, of your peace. 
And then he goes down this list, and in every case says what you just said, Diane. Which oh, really? Is, yeah, that it's better to give than receive. It is better to understand than to be understood. It is better to love than be loved. You see? And that's yeah. the secret. That's the secret. And and I, I've always loved that prayer of St. Francis. When I perform weddings, I always highly urge uh, the people at the wedding to let me include that because uh, it's so much more than a Catholic prayer It's a, or even a Christian uh, under saying, understanding or saying. It's, it's truly universal that you have to put something out into the world to get something back. And when we're afraid and when we, when we get scared and, and, and confused, we want something back first, and then we'll give, right? That's like, right. If you, if you say you're sorry, then I'll apologize to you. But you've got to go first. Well, no, that's not it at all. It's like I forgive you whether you're willing to apologize to me or not. I don't even care. I'm just giving it up, right? I let it go. And to keep that in mind, to keep turning that around again and again in our heads, I think, uh, is one way of going from fear to love, to, to, to bring love into the, into the darkness. There is no battle, really, between the dark and the light, between fear and love. You just bring the light of love into the darkness of fear, and it's vanquished by definition. But we have to initiate that, right? Exactly. So forgive the long story, but... It was a great story. The name of that was Brother, Sister... No, it's Brother, Son. Brother, Son. Right. Sister Moon. Sister Moon. Okay. Sister Moon is Claire, who they never marry because he takes a vow of uh, chastity, but they're like Brother, Sister. Um, And she is the first nun so to speak, in the order, or priestess, um, monk, I guess. But they were brothers and sisters. They're hermits. They're monks. And um, she had been uh, tending lepers even as a child. And she got it. She understood Christianity. But it's a great film. It really, in many ways, um, uh, confronts the medieval nature of the church even to this day and its refusal to emphasize non-materialism. Exactly. uh, You know, in in a world where materialism is fun and necessary, but not what it's all about. I like nice stuff, but not what it's all about. Exactly. And for that person who mentioned a loss, I know that... um, in times when people experience a tremendous loss, uh, I think there's a feeling of emptiness in them, that, that they're empty. And I promise that if you will find a way to reach out and give whatever little you feel you may have left, that it will fill you as well as fill, fill the person you're reaching to. Yeah, it's a good time of year to start thinking about that too. Um, you know, as we as we approach Christmas and solstice, uh, Hanukkah, all of the uh, 
all of the uh, midwinter holidays here. Christmas is when it is, not because Christ was born on December 25th, but because it's solstice, right? Right. It's it's uh, uh, midwinter's uh, celebration that spring is coming. That's what the Christmas tree is about, of course. It's a pagan symbol. The green of spring is at hand. It'll be here, hang in there. But isn't it interesting that this is the time, at least in America, when phrases like peace on earth and, and you know brotherhood and understanding are not controversial? Suddenly you can go around talking like that. you got about two or three weeks where you can be that way, and then, you know, pretty early in January, you're supposed to go back to fighting the war on terrorism and be afraid, be very afraid, and suspect everyone who's different and and all of that. It's very bizarre. If we can, exp- if we can just expand that a little bit every year, a few more weeks, to uh, that, that Christmas sentiment, joy to the world, love and understanding, peace, brotherhood. Uh, it'd be nice to do that 12 months out of the year. So uh, we're coming in. Plus Thanksgiving, that that may be my favorite holiday of all. Not for the food, but just I think gratitude is such a wonderful uh, power, the power of gratitude, the power of, of giving thanks for what you already have instead of worrying about what you don't have. So happy holidays, happy Halloween, happy whatever you got. Exactly. Thank you, Diane. Do you have a parting shot? Uh, No, I don't, except that it's a joy to have you back. Oh, thanks. I can't tell you how happy I am to be back. Great. Thank you. Aloha. Next week. All right. uh, Let's do a short uh, guided imagery, a visualization. And... uh, I want to see if there's any other questions or comments that have come in. Yeah, let's do this visualization exercise about our topic today, understanding love, and then I'll let you go. Let's see, it's already quarter after. So close your eyes and relax. This will just be about 10 minutes. Get nice and comfortable. The idea is to Be balanced, not rigid. Think of of yourself as sitting receptive to a downward precipitation of energy, of spirit, of love, like a gentle rain. And whether you're in a chair, on a sofa, a pillow, in yoga position, or feet flat on the floor, create for yourself simply by forming the intention, a vertical alignment, and an openness at the top of your head, at the top of your being, the crown, the shushumna, the antikarana, the the cord that connects us to upstairs. Imagine a, a gentle downward impulse of love. There's a gentle, misty rain in Hawaii called the Noe Noe. It's 
almost imperceptible. It is so gentle. It makes for rainbows. Think of that gentle rain upon you now. Kind of rain where you don't even get wet, you know. It, <laughs> it, it, it dries as it touches you. But stand open and receptive to that impress, to that impulse. As if you are an open vessel. Receiving sustenance. The life force itself. A spiritual flow, a key, a, a chi, a kundalini, a prana, an odic force, an elan vital. the love and the light that illumines and animates us, now filling you. Feeling filled and full and fulfilled and warm and radiant. You do nothing but allow yourself to sit there open and receptive. You've all heard the phrase, don't do something, don't just sit there, do something. Well, for the next few minutes, I'd like you not to do something, just sit there. And as you become, even if you think it's only in your imagination, filled and full and fulfilled, Imagine radiating that warmth, that love, and that light out from your heart, from the center of your being, radiating out into the world. Again, you do nothing but allow it. And the more you give, the more you release and radiate this love and this light in all directions. Well, the more you receive and thus you enhance the flow. You experience yourself as a medium of transmission for spirit into the material world. You understand that that's the role that we are intended to play. To be the medium, to be the middle between spirit and matter. Between the one and the many. Between unity and diversity. You are that harmony in the middle. You are that love. You are that understanding. And so, we've been guided by the great spiritual and religious teachers of all times and all cultures to give that we might receive. 
and to do so without condition, for there has been no condition placed upon what we receive from above. No judgment. The life force is never withheld from us. It is us in our fearful times that create the resistance. But it's never withheld. So why would you withhold giving that which has been given to you so freely? Unless you thought it came from you and not through you. Unless you thought you'd run out of love. That if you forgave too many people, there wouldn't be anything left for you. Well, it may seem to come from us, but it really comes through us. And at times it may seem to come from others, love and kindness, for we do indeed share the ocean. We, we share a magnetic field. We live in a matrix of vibrating, oscillating, just as your heart itself has its rhythms. And your breath has its in-breath and its out-breath. Everything has its seasons. So things don't always go as smoothly as we'd like. And yet to reorient ourselves, just come back to this simple L-shaped alignment down and out. Carry that L-shaped alignment with you in the world as long as you're plugged in upstairs and humbly aligned for the greater good of all people, not just yourself. Then your body will be open to the receptivity and radiate that love and light out into the world. You might find yourself being kind and loving for no reason at all might even surprise yourself. Consider that L-shaped alignment as we bring ourselves in a few moments back to the waking state, the wide awake state, the scattered state. And carry that alignment with you. For the ageless wisdom says... It is the downward and outward flow of spirit into matter that creates the inward and upward growth. You feel the wisdom in that? It is the downward and outward, this L-shaped alignment, the downward and outward flow of spirit into matter through your heart, through your centeredness. It creates the inward and upward growth. It's like a rope over a pulley. You pull down on the rope to lift the bucket up. Pull down on the rope to lift the bucket up. (laughs) And feel the letting go. Feeling filled and full and fulfilled, all re-energized and recharged and rejuvenated, 
Take a nice, slow, deep breath, filling your lungs. Hold for just a moment as you exhale slowly. And now, open your eyes, wide awake, alert, rested, refreshed, back in the room, feeling better than before. Better and better. Loved, loving, and lovable. Hey, gang, thanks for being back, especially in such big numbers after uh, having been off for a couple of weeks now. And again, thank you for all of your kind words, uh, your warm, loving thoughts, your dedicated prayers of healing. Um, I'm telling you that it was palpable. Um, I was pretty cut off from the world for a, a while. I had no Internet. We weren't really taking telephone calls. Um, and yet there were countless times when I could just feel your presence and um, felt it as these warm waves of of love and and safety and and healing light it's 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 hard to it's hard to imagine it's sort of like going out into going out into the ocean here in Maui and feeling those waves wash over you and yeah I was doing my skills my techniques I was telling somebody the other day that you know there still is a residual anxiety when you're facing such a serious situation medically it was sort of like you know in spite of all of my meditation and my breathing and my visualization I still had some wet sand on me I was trying to brush off but when I waded out into the ocean it was just immediately rinsed away that's the way your love felt on your support and uh, I know you'll benefit from that as well so besides uh thanking you most sincerely from the bottom of my heart and Doreen too, both of us thank you so very much for that know that you can only benefit as well and that's how we change the world you know, it's not political there are no political solutions it's just wherever there is fear be love wherever there is confusion be understanding it's really quite simple uh, but having said that, I sure hope you're going to vote. <laughs> Please vote. I, 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 I won't uh, insult you by telling you who to vote for, but vote for love over fear. And uh, vote, please. It's a very, very important time. And uh, thank you again for being here. Uh, remember to check out again our Maui retreat, either at focusedpassion.com or theagelesswisdom.com and uh, join us next week for the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner. Aloha from my life.